What up, though? It's Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast presented by the New York Post. This week's episode is Finding Joy in a Painful Era. My very special guest is up next, Killer Mike. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. I believe this is my favorite part of the show, where I get a chance to acknowledge those who take their time to download, listen, leave comments, but also Leave me a five-star rating. My ego's involved a little bit. You guys know how much I love the number five. My favorite group growing up was the Jackson Five. Post-COVID, when you see me in the streets, give me a high five. What up, though, Mo Jones 22, who says, great podcast, Jalen. Always a lesson learned each episode. Shout to the hometown hero. Much love, brother. He called it a great podcast with substance. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the Renaissance man. Our next comment, what up, though, to Andy the Mag, who says, Jalen Rose's perspective is so needed for the younger and older generations. Where else can you hear a real perspective on business, culture, fine dining, music, and ideology? And most importantly, the importance of a Chris hairline. Now that's much love. Appreciate the support. This week's episode is finding joy in a painful era. All right, early 90s. Let me set the scene for you. This was basically like a culture war that was being played on a basketball court. Duke seemed to represent everything that was great about the game. And the Fab Five for so many represented the exact opposite. And so for us to face one another in the biggest game of the year, it was almost like an election that took place in 2020. The country was divided. You have these group of black starting five individuals that have the nerve to cut their heads bald, talk trash, wear long shorts, with black shoes and black socks, mainstream America was like, please crush them, Duke. Because we were considered the inner city hoodlum, thug, so many terms that were attached to us based on how we dressed, how we looked, the music that we listened to. And they're also the defending champions. So they've been there. They've done that. And they slayed the team that we looked up to, UNLV. They were better than us, but guess what? At halftime, it was really close. It's a two-point game. Christian Leitner played terrible in the first half. I think he had like four or five turnovers. Second half started, they beat the brakes off of us. Layup, jumper, dunk, steal, block. They were just dominant. And when you lose the game and you're a college kid, it should hurt. And I went to the locker room. I shed some tears. I really did. And the one thing about being cocky, the one thing about being brash, usually when you lose, it hurts even more. 
All I ever wanted to do was be an NCAA national champion. And two years in a row, my freshman year and sophomore year, we got there and lost. But you know what I did? Those two off seasons, I went to the greatest concerts in the history of music. At the time, the KML Summer Jam was the number one radio station and concert that was happening in the United States of America. It was like a Lollapalooza, but it was like 60,000 people. To be a part of that atmosphere, like a needle in the haystack, and people like Louis Burrell, MC Hammer's brother, like that's Jalen Rose, led him through. And before you know it, I'm standing next to TLC and some of the greatest artists in the world of music. And what I realized, in that moment was pure joy, unfiltered. And even though the pain of losing the national championship was still in my head, the love and the appreciation that I was getting from some of the greatest artists in the history of music warmed my heart. At that moment, I felt like a champion. You know why? Because I was a champion. There's the score of the game, And there's the game of life. I was winning at both. Our next guest is also winning the game of life. He balances the hard work of being an outspoken activist and entrepreneur with the art of spreading happiness and dope lyricism to others as one half of the group Run the Jewels. We're going to talk to him about growing up in Atlanta, financial literacy, and what it means to find joy in dark times. My next guest, Killer Mike. My next guest is a rapper, actor, entrepreneur, activist, a husband. (laughs) He's a renaissance man in every sense of the word. Take me back, however, Killer Mike. Welcome to the show. What was your first job and what did it teach you? My first job, like you had to give your social or just your first job, like this is some work you're going to do, boy, for money. All of the above. We hit or inspire. All right. So many people know me. Know I talk about my best friend of 40 years. It's a guy named Robert Hicks. He played for the Buffalo Bills. Stanley Pritchard played for the Miami Dolphins. Mother was our kindergarten teacher. Robert and I met in kindergarten, and we've been friends all the way through. I remember when Rob showed up to school in the Jays. It may have, it may have been the Sixes when he showed up, and I'm like, I know your mama. Your mama's the school secretary. I know she didn't. I know Lily didn't go buy you no Jays. He said, he said I got a job, <laughs> and he worked as. I think he worked at Six Flags that summer, and he got his cousin Tavis, me, and a couple other guys from the high school all went up to Chuck E. Cheese by Cumberland Mall, and all of us got a job. They made the bigger kids, for whatever reason, work in the kitchen. So Chuck E. Cheese was the first official got to give your social job. And then I think I made like 120 bucks my first, my first check, and my grandmother took like 100 and gave me $20 back. And that's when I realized grandmothers be scamming, bro. She, she started a savings account, though, and, and made me save my money. So, shouts out to Miss Betty. So, obviously, you're from Atlanta. Rich musical yep. tradition. What inspired you to get into music? 
I was too chubby to break dance. And like, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I was the head spin and the back spin guy. It wasn't really tight like Leon B Street. So there's a kid named Cameron Dollar who won a won an NCAA championship with UCLA, now mm-hmm. coaches out of Seattle. Cam was um, it takes steel to sharpen steel. So we went to elementary school together. His father, Donald Dollar, and his brother Chad were also basketball legends. His brother ahead of him and his dad was a famous coach at Frederick Douglass High School, an amazing coach. And he also held me in in-school suspension a lot. So Cam was like my third grade rival. We were both chubby little kids. He was a lot better at sports and basketball than I was. My friends were better at baseball, football, but the dopest thing about my friendship and rivalry with Cam and my other friends is they were so good at what they were doing. It forced me to say, I have to find something I'm good at. So in mm-hmm. lieu of not being able to cut linoleum or, you know, put enough Western cooking oil on there to accomplish that basket spin, I just started rapping. I, and my dad, <laughs> I have a bio dad and a non-bio dad. So I'm blessed with two fathers. But my non-bio dad let me listen to all his record collections. I just could play That's records nice. at will. And my bio dad talks and rap. It's like, how you doing? I'm pretty fair for a square. You know, <laughs> and so I just I just had a I had a knack with words and I would rap over my dad's records, you know, and um I got good at it. And the older boys let me hang around, you know, and I would still go watch my homies like Robert play baseball at camp, play basketball, but I'd be on the side just rapping to myself and I get a chance to hang out with my uncle and his friends and I entertain them. So I figured by, I think by seventh, eighth grade, no, no, by sixth or seventh grade, you have to pick a friend in class and write where they want to be when they grow up. And Robert wrote, Robert Hicks wrote, I was going to be a rapper. I wrote at that time I was going to be a baseball player because he didn't play football yet. Mm-hmm. And, and it turned out my bro, he went pro and I ended up getting a record deal. And here we go. That's dope. And a lot of other things you continue to do is fight for, social and civil justice for others. Yes. Today's theme is finding joy in a painful era. So as an activist, as I mentioned, you're always fighting for the rights of others. How do you maintain your joy during difficult times? Well, I'm sitting here with my joy. I'm, I'm here with my wife. And you know, I, I don't say that just to win any husband points. I see you smiling. <laughs> but I'm sitting, as I talk to you, there's a garage behind me. It's a third of a, of a block. We own this. We bought this from my uncle's widow. God bless my uncles. I married a woman who was much like my grandmother, who was, I'm not an Abrahamic religion practitioner, but I was raised Christian. But in Proverbs 10 through 31, it talks about the type of wife that a man should have. And my wife is the description that is described in that particular Bible verse. And I've been very lucky in that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, she is my joy in these times because I am with someone in this life and hopefully the next. I'm a person that seeks joy, not always pleasure. You know, you go to the Blue Flame or Magic City or pleases to seek pleasure sometimes, but I'm a joy seeker. (laughs) So I, I purposely seek joy. You've always been a pillar and a leader in our community. Recently, you launched Greenwood, a digital banking platform for Black and Latino people. And thousands of people signed right up. Yeah, 150,000 and more. Why was it important for you to do that? Well, I've been pushing the line on Bank Black. And when you hear me say Bank Black, I want the greater 
world to know that it's not only black people that can bank with Greenwood X or traditional black banks, which would include Carver, which would include Citizens Trust or One United. Banking black oftentimes is a better way than charity. To help turn a dollar in the community more than once helps that community strengthen itself economically, stabilizes that community, allows better schools, better housing, more stable incomes for families. So mm -hmm. I'm also saying a lot of times bank small, bank local, bank regional. And I'm also encouraging big banks to invest in these banks that are often small, regional or community specific. We would not have Bank of America if it was not for the Bank of Italy. If Italian citizens had not chosen to form their own bank, you know, through Ellis Allen, then we would not have Bank of America, which is one of the largest banks in the world today. We have the opportunity to do that and more in our community. And with Greenwood, we're servicing the Black and the Latinx community and the unbanked. Because a lot of times when you're in a community like I am right now, I remember a time there were four banks within four miles of here. Now it's hard to find even one bank. But yet these people are still working. They still cash their checks every week. But they're being gouged by check cashing places, by liquor stores, and by unscrupulous businesses. What I would like to see is unbanked people banking. Since 65% of people who are banking are banking right off their phone now, Greenwood as a platform works perfectly for that. And in the spirit of Greenwood, which was a town in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was independent, self-reliant, self-sufficient, and turned a dollar 36 times until it was interrupted by hatred, racism, and a savage killing of that town, it would have prospered to, I believe, be one of the greatest American cities. That spirit lives on in this banking platform and in the practices they carry. So when you upcharge off a Greenwood card, that upcharge goes to the United Negro College Fund or the NAACP. When you have an opportunity to become more financially literate and you start understanding why savings will work and eventually I need to take a loan out. Greenwood's purpose right now is to grow into a loaner for housing for cars, for small businesses and capital injection. So I just believe it's the right boat to be on, you know, and I'm I'm going to keep pushing the line for the company because I keep pushing the line for the community. And I understand if I want you to be free, a major burden poor people have is not controlling their dollar. And I truly believe helping working class people do that makes for a stronger economy for all of us. Absolutely. And all of this has not stopped you creatively from getting in the studio you and your partner in crime, LP. Yeah. And spitting bars. Bars, Let man. <laughs> is out. Tell me about the inspiration on this album and how you guys continue to push each other creatively. Man, I just love rapping with L. It's nothing else to say. Like, like, um, you know, man, I just, it's just something about what I what I feel like is underground rap. You know, if you love Dilla, if you love Mr. Esquire, if you love Danny Brown, you love, you know what I'm saying? If you, if you uh, old school style, if you love Farside, Beating Us, then you just, you know, and if you, the golden era, Cool J, Run DMC, Q, T, like you gonna feel it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I just love rapping. And I found somebody who I'm a perfect partner in rap with. And we have a sound that's uniquely ours. And what I love most about being in Run the Jewels is, not since Outcast have I seen an audience and group trust each other that much. Our audience trusted us to do our last album in RTJ3. And it was dark. It was moody. It was blue. It was like Trump got elected. <laughs> <You know what I'm laughs> I, mean? <laughs> I, I remember I remember people just, just like, ah! And we were just like, you know, here's something to get you through. And, and now... This album is fiery and electric and hope-filled and still very truthful about the goings-on of the world. 
But if you look at the energy this year and a hopeless year, people are more hopeful than I've ever seen and electric and in the streets and pushing for people are hungry and their neighbors are feeding them. They're not waiting. You know, people are seeing injustices and kids with skateboards are battling against cops with shields to make sure that kids who don't look like them are not being abused. So it is the perfect timing for what we always do. We always do music in this spirit, but this is a new sound for us. This go round. It is a more fiery and energetic spirit than the last offering because it's not as blue. It's not hopeless as that last one wasn't hopeless, but your hope got beat up a little in the last go round. But with this one, man, it's full of hope, full of aspiration. And I appreciate our audience for trusting us on the journey. And I look forward to actually getting out on the road with Rage Against the Machine next year and performing for you guys. I pay attention. I saw you give verse of the year, verse of the month. I saw y'all standing on stage, spitting acapella. Like, just tell me when you say dark, you say black, you say blue. For those that don't haven't gotten a chance to experience the run the jewels, haven't gotten a chance to take in the run and jewels experience, bring them behind the curtain of what that is, what that's like. Well, I mean, it is high, high power bars. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Me and L, we two 15-year-old boys in a rap-off, you know, when it comes to, to the beats. Like, we there rapping. It is a one-producer-produced album. We have associate producers in, in Taco and Wilder Zobi who make up Little Shalimar. But LP is the helm of production. So just like it back in the days, Dre produced. NWA. He produced Snoop Banks and Too Short produced that album. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Dilla produced. For, you know what I mean? Right. That's what we have. We have two essentially 15-year-old minds locked in a room. <laughs> so if you need if you need a pick-me-up, a wake-me-up, a runner's music, a lifting music, a can go fast and yell cat mu music, Run the Jewels is it. It is punch you in your face. Dope-ass rap music. And before I let you get out of here, I want to thank you and your queen for joining me today, taking the time. That's much love. I do a segment <laughs> called Gone in 60 Seconds, where I ask yeah. you a string of rapid-fire questions, and please answer as fast as possible so I can get through as many as possible. Let's get it. First up, out of five, how good are the wings at Magic City? Oh, uh, man, the wings at the flame is a five. At Magic City, <laughs> I would give them a four, absolutely. Really? I got to hit the flame immediately. I'll wear a mask. Give me one song that best represents Atlanta. The one song that best represents Atlanta? Oh, man. Oh, Players Ball Outcast. Easy. Name one Atlanta artist that you haven't collabed with that you would like to. Oh, Thug. Thug. Young Thug. Yeah, I, I, love, I love Thug. That's a great one. Which sneaker silhouette is more essential to your wardrobe? Air Max Ones or Jordan Ones? My daughter is a Jordan One head. I am an Air Max One head. So we're at perpetual war over the 85 Jordans or the 87 Air Maxes. And since I buy the sneakers, <laughs> I win. Two more. Who's closer to bringing Atlanta a title? The Falcons or the Hawks? <laughs> no, I gotta go. I gotta go with the Hawks, though. I think the Hawks are gonna win one. And shouts out to the Braves as an honorable mention. And last but not least, all right, let's get it. Our brothers, if Ti and Jeezy were both running for mayor of Atlanta, who would get your vote? If Ti and Jeezy were running for mayor of Atlanta, I would vote Ti for mayor, and I would put Jeezy as 
I put Jeezy's head of city council. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that way, that way, because Jeezy would meet, he he would, I feel like he'd handle the council members. Like he worked in collaborations <laughs> with a lot of good brothers from Detroit. I think he knows cooperation well. T.I. T. needs the alpha office. <laughs> well, Mr. 17 5, that is. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Yo. Hey, man, I, I just want to say I love and respect you, brother. And anytime you. you and your wife in Atlanta, please make sure you hit up me and Shay. Let, let yes, us take sir. you to dinner. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Appreciate the love. You guys have I a love. great afternoon. And I can't wait to put something in the air with you guys when I get to the A. That's what I want to do. Forget going to dinner. I want to put something in the air. Okay. Then that just means we're going to eat it out. Yeah, we, let's do that. I appreciate the love. All right, brother. All right, have a good one. In your honor. <laughs> <laughs> take care now. Last, last call. This week's last call is a shout out to you, the American people. We had more people vote in this presidential election than at any point in American history. It also continues to highlight the importance of not only being involved in your community, but also being involved in government, paying attention to senators, governors, mayors, judges, regents, board members. Also, volunteering, being involved in your community, donating money back to local charities. Let's do what we can to lift one another like somebody once did for me. My high school coach, Perry Watson, who was also my counselor at Detroit Southwestern, and Ed Martin have been giving back to the community since the early 80s. The young people who can show that they had all A's and B's on their report card, he'll give you a winter coat, he'll give you a pair of boots. And you know what he got in return? Nothing. He just wanted everybody to stay out of trouble. You stayed out of trouble, Big Money Ed would make sure that you had some shoes on your feet and some clothes on your back. And that's how you give back to the community. And for somebody to not only do that for me, but to do that for complete strangers, in most cases, it made me feel like not only did I want to be a success story, but I wanted to be in a position to give back the same way. So like Ed Martin and today's guest, Killer Mike, I'll challenge each of you to give back to your community. Be a big brother or a big sister. Donate your time, energy to the local church. Adopt someone as a big brother or a big sister. Be a tutor at a school. Give away, throw away, donate some of those clothes and shoes in your closet that you really might not need or you're really not going to wear. But either way, always remember, one of the greatest gifts you can give is your time. You're on the clock. I'm Jalen Rose. See you next week. <laughs>